The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. And that's right, everybody. Welcome to the second hour of Sports Talk New York. As I'm right here batting cleanup behind the great, uh, and uh, as great as always, Bill Donahue just hit a home run in the first hour with Daryl Strawberry and Dr. J. Julius Irving. So thank you for the great lead-in, Bill. And uh, I got a great show to get here to tonight as uh, I'm starting off with uh, Giants former uh, former Giants tight end Mark Bavaro, two-time Super Bowl champ, two-time All-Pro. And uh, we got Dave Maloney in the second half of the show. But uh, before all that, um, I'd like to uh, just uh, welcome you to Sports Talk uh, New York right now, as uh, I'm your host, Rob Kramer. And, um, you know, really can't uh, thank you enough for tuning in here right now as we rebrand Sports Talk 1240. uh, And... uh, we give birth anew to Sports Talk New York tonight, and why make him wait around? He's on the line right now. I want to thank uh, and welcome Mark Bavaro, former Giants tight end, to the program right now. Mark, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I hope that you had a happy and healthy uh, holiday and new year for you and your family. Yeah, we've been enjoying it. Yeah. Oh, very nice, very nice. And, uh, you know, so... With everything going on, I'm sure that uh, you've had a lot to occupy your time with over the last few months and everything, over the last year even. Um, but have you been keeping up with the uh, the Giants this year? Uh, I really haven't been watching them that closely. Uh, I heard today was uh, an important game, so I kind of checked out the end of it. It was pretty exciting. Yeah, it was. Uh, def- I guess we're all waiting for the Washington game. Absolutely, you got a on a Sunday night football tonight. We got the Philadelphia Eagles and Washington football team going at it. And if the Eagles can pull out a win here, the Giants will actually, believe it or not, after starting the season one and seven, be the division champions. So that's a that's quite a far cry from the excellence of your '80s Giants teams. But uh, hey, making the playoffs is uh is, is pretty good either way, right? It doesn't matter how you get in; you just need to get in. Exactly, exactly. And hey, the being a a division champion, the Giants would host a playoff game. So. You know, uh, I, I don't know. How, how do you feel about the age that we're in right now where there uh, are no crowds in the stands and everything? And while it still is nice to have a home playoff game, you know, and, you, you know, you have your routines down and everything along those lines, how how crazy would it have been for you to play um, a playoff game, especially with no crowd? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely different. I don't know that, you know, once the game starts, whether it really matters all that much. Uh it would be an advantage for the visiting team because obviously the the crowd noise wouldn't be a factor. Uh, and maybe you can answer this question for me. I hear the the fan noise on the TV when I watch it, but is that is that on the TV solely, or is that in the in the stadium as well? It's actually in the stadium. Believe it or not, it's it's kind of crazy okay. for for a lot of them. I know in baseball this year, I'm not exactly sure how football did it, but I know baseball, they used actually the the ambient crowd noise from the video games <laughs> and just kind of mixed that into the games these days. I, I think the NFL did something along those lines, but it's definitely, but the, the players on the field are definitely hearing that noise too. So I wonder if it's ever, uh, crowd noise is ever a factor as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I, and I could definitely see it even being distracting at times too, especially when you know that there's no crowd out there. And uh, I, I've heard a couple of these games this year that that crowd noise has been pretty pretty loud. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's almost a little distracting. So maybe it's even a little, uh, you know, an, another little obstacle that they have to come over. Uh, but you know, especially with everything these players have gone through, and they've uh, they've done a great job with keeping uh, the COVID protocols and everything. And uh, you really haven't, you know, w- we've seen some positive tests. And, uh, and uh, you know, maybe a, a minor outbreak here and there. But for the most part, I think the NFL has done a really good job navigating their way through these kind of uncharted waters. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people didn't think there was going to be a season at all. So I'd say that this is a victory for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, so that's uh, just a really, 
really nice start off for the Giants. Kick off 21 uh, the the right way if they could get a win for Philly tonight and uh, get a uh, spot in that playoffs, just like uh, your old Giant teams. Uh, you know they they had the big twenty three nineteen win today against um against Dallas. Now have you seen now what do you think about this this new coach? I know you said you haven't been keeping uh up on them much, but uh is there anything that you've seen from Joe Judge, their new head coach, that leads you to believe that uh th- th- this guy could be the the big answer they've been looking for? You know I really haven't watched them enough. I, I don't really know anything about them. Um, I do know uh, just by watching the little that I watched today. If after a, a weird up and down season like they've had this year, if they could go out and perform like they did today, even though they almost blew it at the end, <laughs> just to, just for them to keep the focus and intensity and the desire to win after such a season, he must be doing a pretty good job as a leader and as a coach and as a motivator. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, you know, he he learned from the best. Uh, he's uh, from the the Belichick coaching tree and. Uh, you know, I think it's it's pretty much undoubted uh, at this point that Belichick is, uh, at, you know, top three or four, probably for most people, even the number one coach of all time. And you know, he was your defensive coordinator for a lot of those Giants teams, uh, for for all of them, I guess, actually. <laughs> and uh, and he was also your head coach in Cleveland. So you know, when when you were coming up and you saw Belichick from afar as the defensive coordinator on your own team. And then you played underneath him. Did did you see any uh, an inkling of any of this brilliance uh, from that w- that we've seen from him from a coaching standpoint? That I mean, he really well, didn't come yes. into into the early two thousands. Yes, from a defensive standpoint, yes, he was. The genius was always apparent, you know, on the giant teams. Uh, now, when I played for him in Cleveland as the head coach, uh, I didn't quite see the brilliance that was to be in the head coaching arena but I knew I knew it was there I just knew it was a matter of of him getting the experience and it it coming out and he actually did do a good job of Cleveland yeah he Um, definitely he he definitely did I mean he got a couple of those Browns teams to the playoffs um you know he always gets a bad bad rap at Cleveland but he actually he did it he did a pretty good job there absolutely right some real good teams yeah and people talk about like you know talk about his stint there like it was a bad one but no i i completely agree you know it's it was his first time as an as an nfl head coach so he was kind of figuring himself out along the way too and um yeah it was just a matter of time before people understood him as a coach and and as a person uh and all he had to do was get a little success under his belt uh for them people to believe in him and to follow the program and that didn't take too long once you got a shot at Patriots. Yes, absolutely. The history. And and you know he he did some wonders for uh for your teams uh, defensively in the uh, in, in the eighties. The well the one that comes to my mind actually is the three peat game, where uh, the the Giants defense that day, where you guys went out and beat the Niners um, on what five field goals, uh, you know, and the the offense, you know, you guys gutted it out and you got down there in the the red zone all those times. You weren't able to convert on touchdowns, but uh, you, you went out there and kicked five field goals. The defense held them down, and uh, and that was the name of the game that that year. That '90 team, uh, you know, really personified by by that, uh, that that gritty defense, especially at the end. Yeah, there's no question. The Giants were always a defensive team back then, um, and especially in 1990, uh, we really weren't much of an offensive team. We were a good ball control team, but we weren't much of a point scoring team. Uh, and without the defense that we had, which was, you know, I put up there with the best defensive teams of all time, along with the 86 uh, Super Bowl defense, um, they just did a spectacular job. And of course, you know, the, the person behind that was Bill Belichick. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to even drive your point home more, uh, with, with the offense holding the ball, I mean, you guys held in the Super Bowl there against Buffalo. I think you held the ball for for, about, for over 40 minutes in that game. Yeah, so, it was 40 minutes and some seconds. I don't know what it was, but um, yeah, it was, it's it's great to hold the ball for a long time. It, it's really <laughs> it does help in a game. But I think if you ask any coach, you know, what would they rather have? I think they'd rather have points, you know, than uh, <laughs> than time of possession. Uh, points seem to matter a little bit more. But when you have a defense like we did, you know, that it really was a great combination. Absolutely, so many uh, you know household names 
on that defense and and LT, uh, you know, Carl Banks, so many guys out there that you could just point to that uh, that really led that smash mouth defense. And uh, and you know, you were a lot of the attitude on those teams too. You know, you you were such a great tight end. Like I said earlier, when I was bringing you on first, two time All Pro, two time Super Bowl. That doesn't happen by accident. And um, you know, you went to uh, to Notre Dame too. So have have you been keeping up with uh, with Notre Dame at all recently? Uh, I like the Giants. I, I only tuned in late, you know, when I when I heard about them um, being in the playoffs. Uh, and I thought, you know, I I wasn't expecting much with them against Alabama. And granted, they didn't really give you much. You know, it was never really a game. But mm-hmm. I was really uh, I was really surprised and, and proud of the effort that they gave. I thought they fought. You know, every play, I, I, they never gave up. There was never a point in the game where they were out of it. Uh, and it would have been nice if they had scored at the end. Uh, it, would have, it would have made the game look a little bit better on paper. But uh, I was really proud of their effort. You know, I was proud to, to uh, say that they were my alma mater. Yeah, I agree. I've I've been an, a, an Irish fan my whole life. And, you know, really they, they've been highlighting their, their inability to win the big game in the BCS since uh, – like like the late nineties, I think they said since nineteen ninety eight, the Irish are zero and seven in these big time BCS games. But uh, you know, I, I I agree with you. I, I I like the way that they fought to the end. I think um, you know Ian Book really proved himself to be uh, one of the better quarterbacks the Irish have had. Uh, you know, he's he's got the the all time mark now for, for for wins. I think he's got thirty wins as a starter there now. Um, and more importantly for me, uh, they they seem to have a, an up and coming star in uh, number eighty seven. You know, as a tight end, I was uh, in awe of his performance. The kid's a freshman. Very true. I don't even know his name, but uh, the, <laughs> he looked like a seasoned pro out there, and he looks like he's going to be a force to be reckoned with for a few years to come. Very true. And you know, dating back to you, Notre Dame has really been uh, a, a great spot for for tight ends i mean they even still have kyle rudolph who's still in the league right now and he was going back to uh the the brady quinn days in the, the mid 2000s mm-hmm. so you know kyle rudolph the the, the irish really are, are gonna especially once this kid gets in the league are really gonna have a uh, nice uh legacy of tight ends <laughs> in, in yeah, the NFL. They, they do like you said they they have a great legacy right now and this kid's only gonna add to it because he looks like he's gonna be a fantastic pro so Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, yeah, you know, so just just checking with Notre Dame there because I, I I totally agree, and I, uh, I I always associate you with Notre Dame more. Uh, I, I don't know why I'm I'm a Jets fan more than a Giants fan, but uh, I I always liked the uh, you know the going back and seeing the the former Fighting Irish and looking back at uh, at guys like that and and you know Timmy Brown from the the championship years and and Joe Montana. From the, the late seventies, so uh, yeah, you you were definitely one of the uh, and probably the best Irish tight end of all time. Well, we uh, we had a we had a few great ones, you know, Ken McAfee, mm-hmm. who's a four-time All-American. I mean, how's that for an accomplishment? <laughs> very true, very uh, true. You know, Dave Casper was there. You, you had some really really good tight ends, and then after me, there was a slew of them. You know, I mean, you just name them. Every year there was there was a stud coming out. It was pretty good. No doubt about it, especially in those late uh, '80s, early '90s years. It seemed like there was a you know a great one being churned out every year. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, so I actually was re- was uh, was listening to an interview with you recently, where uh, I believe you were speaking with Mike Francesa, where you said that um, you think that if they had a, a matchup, that the the 1990 Giants team would beat the 1986 Giants team. Now. I, I that I, I I would feel like a lot of um you know Giants fans or football fans in general would always lean towards the '86 team because that one always seems to get more of the accolades. What what do you feel about that 1990 team that that would would have them um you know even though maybe in a certain couple of of, uh, of categories they're not as good as the the '86 team but they had that guttiness to get a victory against them. Yeah, now you know if I if I said that, which I don't really remember saying it, but I I, I believe it. Um, I'm, I wasn't um, uh, wholeheartedly in, in agreement with that statement. Okay. <laughs> uh, I do think that the I do I do think the ninety team could be the eighty six team. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> uh, and vice versa too. You know. Um, it's hard. You know, it's hard to. How can you really? Yeah, it's always especially when there's so many. 
Yeah, well, you got the same coaches, too. Exactly. Same players, you know? Exactly. So, I mean, it's kind of a dumb thing to say. But the, the 90 team was, I think, the point I was trying to get across was that 90 team was no slouch compared to the 86 team. We were, we were good in ways that the 86 team wasn't. Like, like Baltimore, for one thing. And our, you know, I think we had a, I think we had a better defensive scheme, uh, in 90, uh, than in 86. But, you know, what do I know? Uh, you know, our coaches were a little more seasoned. Our players were a little more seasoned. Uh, they were older and a little banged up, but I mean, I think they knew how to play the game better, maybe in '90. And, and our offensive line was humongous in '90. Oh yeah, especially you know, as opposed we, we, to '86, where we were very athletic. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that 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 offensive line would just have, you know, we would have dominated the line of scrimmage, and uh, who knows what happens there. Yeah, uh, you know, and Jeff Hostetler compared to Sims, you know, that's a, that's a debate, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can, you can talk for hours on that one. Very true. Uh, so who knows, you know, if I, if I said 90 would be 86, I, I stand by it, they could. But I mean, 86 could also be 90 under the right circumstances. It, it would depend on the day, to put it that way. Very true, very true. And it's, it's always just fun to think about things like that, you know, cause there's, there's so many situations that fans like to debate, you know, it's kind of like one of those barroom topics and stuff like that. So, uh, it's, it's something that we're never going to actually get to see, but it's fun to think about. And, um, you know, you were coming in at such a great time in, uh, the, the mid eighties there for the Giants. It was right after, um, you know, Parcells really was starting to get established. They'd, they just made the playoffs. Uh, now, what, what do you remember about coming into that that young team that was just starting to learn with a coach that was just starting to learn to win as well? Yeah, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge of, of the Giants, you know, coming out of college. Uh, one of my best friends from college, <clears throat> when I got drafted, he was like, wow, you know, he goes, Mark, this team is perfect for you. You know, this is, this is going to be the best place you could have gone. And I was like, why? He goes, because they're up and coming, they're hungry, they, their defense is unbelievable, and they got this great coach named Bill Parcells. And I was like, who? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so he had to fill me in uh, on it. And I really, uh, I didn't even do enough homework to realize that they were coming out of one of their longest droughts ever. You know, uh, I didn't realize how bad they were in the 70s. I just kind of knew that they were a good football team because up in, I'm from New England. So up in New England when I was growing up, the Giants were a favorite team of, of, amongst a lot of the people here. Oh yeah. So I always just had this vision in my head that the Giants were really a good team. I had no idea that they had suffered so badly during the 70s and so early 80s. Um, so when we won in 86, uh, and you just saw the outpouring of emotions from Giant fans. I, I was taken aback, you know. And then, then I had to kind of do a little homework and realize why they were so emotional. Uh, and then, that, only then did I really appreciate what what we had accomplished as a team, you know, in New York. And, and, yeah. I, and I was so happy, not only for myself to, to win it, but that, then I became so very happy for the, the fans of the area because I didn't realize how long suffering they'd been. Yeah, people still talk so, um, you know, positively and, uh, and, and reflect nothing but good feelings about, especially that first championship, uh, you know, just, just like you were saying, the, the, the 86 title, where, uh, you know, you, you really brought the Giants back to, to relevance. Like you said, they, they'd been in the woods for so long. Um, you know, the, the, the mid, the early 60s, the NFL championship game, uh, against the Chicago Bears really was the last time that they had really tasted any kind of championship. And then, you know, over 20 years later, you guys really took the entire city by storm. And it's, uh, it's really still great just to hear people talk about that. And, and, uh, you know, how you guys, there was a lot of people too in, in that time, I'm sure, who thought that the Bears coming off that, uh, that great 85 season they had with the defense and everything, that, uh, you know, they were going to be the team to beat for a couple of years now. One of the reasons, you know, we, we won the Super Bowl, we never had to face the, the Bears because the Washington beat them in the playoffs. So they would have had to have come to Giant Stadium in, in, um, December or, or January for the playoffs, which, but they didn't, they didn't because Washington beat them and we had to play Washington three times that year. 
So oh, we never yeah. really had to go through Chicago in 86 to mm-hmm. get to the Super Bowl. I think we could have done it, but it definitely would have been a pretty hand task. Chicago was, was a great team, great defense. Definitely. Well but coached. I think we would have beat them. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, it's tough to say another thing, but I, I, I do think that, that you guys would have beat them with the, uh, you know, with the, the amazing cast of characters that you had, not to take anything away from those Bears teams, though. But, uh, and it, no, but, but they you, did come, you know, in 90, they came to, they came to Giant Stadium for the playoffs, and we, we, we watched them pretty good. Mm-hmm. We got our revenge because we got watched pretty good in 85, and we also got watched again, I think, in the opening game of 87. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, after, and, our, after our Super Bowl, we played them the next, the following season, opening game, and they just destroyed us. So they yes. got our revenge in, in 1990. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And hey, uh, you know, whoever gets revenge last, that's the sweetest then. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, and, and you've got, uh, you know, but you guys had a pretty big foe to go against even without the Bears was at the end of, uh, that, that whole run. You know, you guys going up against the the Niners and Montana and Rice and that whole cast of characters. What what did it feel like you to go through, um, you know, really a dynasty like that to get that last championship and to to beat a team that was that good? Well, San Francisco didn't bother us that much. We not not that we had their number, but we always felt that we were physically a dominant team against San Francisco in particular. So we, there was never any sense of intimidation when we played them. Uh, we just didn't know if we were going to be able to tamp down Montana and Rice, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as long as, as long as they could do that, you know, we knew that we had a pretty good chance. Now, if you told me that I think, uh, if you asked me if I thought I was, we were going to beat the 49ers by not scoring a touchdown in the game, <laughs> I would have said there's no way we could beat them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, fortunately, Matt Barr kicked enough field goals, and our defense kept the score low enough that we did it, you know. Now, if, now I, the Buffalo Bill game, the Super Bowl game, was one game I definitely didn't think we were going to win. You mm-hmm. know? I, went into, <clears throat> I went into that game, really, not confident of winning. <clears throat> not that I tried any less or any harder. You know, you, know, you just always, you, you know, you, you're just going through, you know, you're training and you do what you do, but... In the back of my mind, I was like, there's no, you know, they were scoring 50 points a game. Yeah, especially in that championship like, game. And they had beat you guys in the regular season that year, I believe, correct? Yeah, they beat us in the regular season. Yeah. And, and in the San Francisco game locker room before pregame, we watched Buffalo beat the Raiders mm-hmm. 55 to, to nothing, something like that. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, we can't score 55 points, you know. <laughs> there's, there's no way we can do it. So I didn't know how we were going to do it. But uh, I figured if, if Belichick doesn't come up with some sort of a plan, uh, we get no chance. Thank <laughs> God he did. And that he did, and you guys held them to uh, 19 points. It was another great win. Uh, you know, one of those cardiac kid moments right there is uh, it took it down to the wire, got another championship, and uh, that's uh, you know it's all said and done. You can't beat that as uh, you know uh, the uh, two championships in New York, Mark. Um, you know, you uh, if if we're just gonna uh, put a bow on this, what do you have to say about your your time with the Giants and the two championships and the great coaches and players that you played with? Well, I mean, the teams obviously were great to play for. The coaches were great to play for. New York, you know, is the ultimate place to play, especially if you're winning. Uh, I mean, I couldn't have picked a better place or picked a better cast of teammates to play for or coaches to play for. Uh, we're all friends to this day. We all get, everybody pretty much gets along. I mean, we see each other every once in a while. It's a, it's a good, it's a family type atmosphere. The Giants are a great organization. I mean, it's, it was a great experience. And, and even to this day, I see, I do some work with Phil McConkey. I do work with Lawrence Taylor and Otis Anderson. Um, I see Stephen Baker a lot. You know, I, I see Bart Oates, Jim Burt, you know, everybody, you know, and Billy Ard. We just we we were just a great bunch of guys hanging out in the locker room. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Parcells was a great guy to play for. I had a great coach, Mike Pope. Who, you know, you, we could talk about an, an hour about that guy. <laughs> he, he, he he coached some great tight ends in his career, and I was fortunate to have him as my coach. And uh, we won Super Bowls. I mean, what more could you ask for? Exactly, and that's the name of the game. 
Well, uh, you, you know, Mark, uh, I've, I've spent a, a, enough of your time tonight. I want to thank you so much for taking time on your Sunday night to give us a call tonight and uh, talk about some of the, the old Giants teams and everything else going on. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I, I couldn't appreciate uh, any more of your time. My pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Mark, and have a good night. And um, and everybody else, we're taking our first break of the uh, day here on uh, Sports Talk New York. Uh, please stick around. we got Dave Maloney talking a little New York Rangers hockey in the second half, and we'll be right back in a minute. Stick around. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Country Foot Care, official podiatrists of the New York Lizards, have been delivering state-of-the-art foot care with good old-fashioned caring to Long Island residents for over 30 years. Specialists in sports medicine and foot injuries, Country Foot Care can be reached at 516-741-FEET or online at countryfootcare.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gustbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit Gustbuster.com and get your Gustbuster today. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the second half of this hour of Sports Talk 1240. I'm uh, Sports Talk 1240. I'm sorry, it's Sports Talk New York. And <laughs> thanks for tuning in here. Um, I'm your host, Rob Kramer. Um, you know, with all the stuff that we've changed over here, too, don't forget that you can check us out on uh, Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. And, uh, and also, after this show, you can check out our podcasts anywhere you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Um, we're waiting to get New York Rangers Dave Maloney on the line right now, and he's on right now. Dave Maloney, thank you for joining us here on this Sunday night. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, you know, Good. and... I just want to thank you for for taking the time tonight too, and uh, I hope you had a very good holiday and New Year and everything. Yeah, we did. I mean, uh, like everyone else, it's certainly different than uh, we've been accustomed to. But uh, hopefully, now that we're into uh, a new year, that maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel and uh, there's some normalcy uh, uh, coming back into everyone's life. And uh, so we get through. We continue to uh, you know hope for the best and move forward. Exactly. We got, uh, you know, there's a lot of positivity. We got this, uh, this vaccine out now. Hopefully a lot of people are getting it. So hopefully, like you said, it's a step in the right direction. And maybe by the end of this year, we'll even have people back in the building again for, for hockey and basketball and anything like that. But, uh, you know, obviously everybody's health is of paramount concern before that. <laughs> so, uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the plan. That's the hope anyway, is that, uh, this thing will inch along and, uh, and all sports will be able to, uh, you know, sports, theater, restaurants, everything that, uh, you know, uh, maybe used to have people in the building. So it'll be good. Exactly. And it's been, it's been nice. It's been almost a little bit of normalcy, uh, over this, this break right now. I've been watching a lot of the world juniors and everything mm-hmm. like that. Have, have, have you been covering that at all? Haven't been covering it, but I have been watching it. I actually, uh, watched, uh, all three games. From yesterday, I watched it today. I was busy yesterday, but uh, yeah, I have been uh, have been following it. It's, uh, and it's quite it's good stuff. It's good hockey, and um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out now that they're heading into the semifinals and finals. Yeah, exactly. And it was a nice run from Germany to to get that mm-hmm. far. You know, they they'd never been that far before, and uh, now we got two great uh, semis tomorrow, like you were saying, with uh, Russia and Canada early, and then mm-hmm. the, the the late game with Finland and the U.S. 
a lot of good prospects on there. Is is there anybody that, uh, especially like, like on the U.S. team, that y- you have your eye on, uh, that that you like? I, I've really been enjoying watching the goalie Spencer Knight play. I think uh, he's he's been a big time goalie for them, big time winner. Is is there anybody that that you uh, specifically have uh, ha- that has impressed you so far? Well, I think you know it's. Um, I mean. Um, Knight is from the Connecticut area. I don't know him personally, but I know a number of people that do know him. And, um, you know, he's a big kid and, uh, a bit of a rocky start against, uh, the Russians and, uh, but seems to have hung in there. But I think the team has gotten better too in front of them. Um, Zegras is uh, another kid, a Westchester kid who, uh, looks like he's going to be the real deal. And, uh, so I, I think they're, you know, I think the, the impressive thing, uh, is, that you know, USA Hockey continues to to grow in in areas of the country. You know, there's two or three kids from California on the on the roster. There's a kid from Florida on the roster, and it just continues to um, show that the game is is growing and it's become competitive in a lot of uh, a bigger, more broader uh, perspective in America. So, I mean, it's um, it's been it's been fun to watch and. Uh, and it's been good for uh, USA Hockey, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they get through the fins, and uh, perhaps it'll set up uh, for another Canada-U.S. Uh, final, uh, although the Canadians will have their hands full with Russians. Yeah, Russia, especially early, with, like you were mentioning before about that uh, that early game for Spencer Knight where the Russians just really bombarded them early. I think they ran mm-hmm. to a 5-1 uh, lead early in that game. Um, but you know, if if Canada can get past Russia and if the U.S. can get past Finland, we know that those uh, th- these big games, these big gold medal games, are between the U.S. and Canada are always a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, they certainly are, and I mean, it's it's like everything else when both sides are competitive. Uh, for the longest time, and of course, in the days of the Soviet Union, uh, the Soviets were dominant in international competition, mm-hmm. and uh, for the longest time. Uh, you know, Canada was a dominant factor, particularly at the youth level, and uh, but America has has certainly gotten better. There's been a generation, two generations of great American talent that continue to foster, um, you know, continued uh, development of the program. Uh, you know, I mean, it, I, traditionally the, the college route has still the main characters. Uh, you know, you've got the Boston colleges in Minnesota and, and Michigan's and and the schools that have been around forever. Hockey, but you've got newer places like Quinnipiac and different schools now that uh, it's just a lot deeper program. There's more, more youth involved, and uh, it's 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 shown that it's a legit. Um, you know, when it comes to world class competition, uh, the U.S. is legit, and that's uh, that's good stuff. So when Canada and the U.S. play, and they're both competitive, it just uh, makes it a better better watch and better for everyone. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And uh, you know, I think that, that, like we said, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and it's going to be a lot of fun to see these uh, these kids excel in the biggest moments. And if there's anybody that knows about excelling at a young age in these big moments, it's you, as you were the youngest captain in the history of the Rangers, and you were the captain of a team at that young age that went to the Stanley Cup final, uh, you know, against the, uh, the the Canadians in '79, and um, really had that 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 last great playoff defeat that the Rangers handed the Islanders before they went on their their cup run and everything like that. So, it, you know, excelling at a young age comes naturally to, to you, no doubt about it. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's a long time ago, and, and the game has, uh, has certainly uh, evolved, and yet, you know, the, that particular run, we were a, a pretty young group, and we were backstopped by um, pretty cool tending from John Davidson, and we got ourselves on a bit of a roll, and, and it was fun. And I think the thing now, when I, I can remember at the time thinking that uh, perhaps we'd get a chance again, and uh, and we didn't. Uh, certainly, we had great uh, competitive series against those Islander teams that were on the run, but we could never, never find a way to beat them. So I think um, when you look at a uh, sport like that and you get a chance I don't know the championship. Uh, a lot of things have to fall into place, and Montreal was that you know coming out of four consecutive cups, and they have seven or eight Hall of Fame players in that roster that we played against in the finals in May of '79. So 
Uh, it was a fond memory, and, you know, the city was pretty electric with the Ranger Islander thing. And, you know, now with the schedule laid out the way it's going to be laid out, uh, given the situations with the pandemic, they'll so play one another eight times. And uh, that could be good stuff for rivalries. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to this season from that standpoint where, um, you know, the Ranger-Islander rivalry, the Ranger-Flyer, Ranger-Devil, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll maybe take on some of those uh, edges that in the days when we played one another more than uh, three or four times. So all in all, those uh, rivalries are great in, uh, in both teams. Uh, as we talked about America and Canada, I think you can make the case the Islanders are a legitimate cup contender and the Rangers are, are coming. So uh look forward to those uh, Ranger Islander days uh, coming up. Yeah, the, the Rangers have been laying their groundwork for the the last couple of years now, you know, with the building blocks of uh, Lafreniere and Capo and Shesterkin finally coming over and all the other young pieces that they have, that they're building a young core. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Islanders are trying to tie up their, their guys as they're trying to extend Barzal and work out whatever deal they uh, – you know, announced today that he's officially a holdout. Hopefully they can work that out before the season starts. But just like you're saying, this season is really going to be all about the uh, jacking up those division rivalries to, to the next level because every single team, especially the Rangers, are going to be playing this year. It's going to be the Islanders, the Devils, the Flyers, the Bruins. And, you know, the, 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 we're not going to have any easy nights in this division this year. Um, it's going to be, uh, you know, every single point's going to matter. Every single time you take your opponent to, to overtime and get that point, it's going to matter. Um, how do you see this shaking out this year? Uh, it's it, to me on paper. As much look, I'm I'm a big Rangers fan. I I always hope the best for my team. But in just like you said, the Islanders are a legit cup con- competitor. Do you think where it's only the top four teams that make the playoffs? That there's a path to the playoffs of the Rangers in, the, in this division. Oh, of course, there's a path. It's a matter of uh, are they good enough to, to, to follow that path, mm-hmm. and are they ready? I'm not 100 percent convinced yet they're ready. Um, you know, this when you look at uh, the makeup of this group, uh, there, you know, you lost some pretty big pieces, uh, important pieces that have been. There for quite some time, and one for Stowell and Jesper Foss, and those, uh, you know, they were representative of a group that grew together, and um, so it's going to take some time. Chris Kreider is really the only remaining uh, factor from the 2012 and 2014 runs, so I think there are a lot of things that have to fall. There's no question there's good things going on, and there's no question uh, that one who you know follows the Rangers shouldn't be excited. But I think patience is going to be a virtue. And I, I think if you look at their division, I do think, uh, I think both the, uh, Flyers and, um, Islanders are playoff teams. Uh, you have to like what Washington's done, uh, particularly with the signing of Chara. Now, Washington and Pittsburgh have been around for a long time. That story's going to turn at some point. But I don't think it's ready to turn just yet. Uh, the Bruins, what will the Bruins be like? Without Chara, they've got great character. They've had great character, but he was an important uh, part of that uh, process there. So, so if you, you know, if you're looking at, uh, you know, the Flyers, Islanders, Washington would be the three teams that say, okay, they're all legitimate playoff teams. Uh, now you're talking about Pittsburgh. You're talking about um, uh, Boston. So that's five teams. Mm-hmm. You know? So. The Rangers have their work cut out, absolutely no question. But I don't uh, listen to and talk to John Davidson and Jeff Gordon yesterday. I listened to and talked with uh, David Quinn today. And these guys have been around long enough to know that this just uh, happened overnight. And you look at the Islanders, who struggled for a long time in the recent generations, uh, and it's finally come into place, but it's taken a while. It's taken time for Beauvillier. It looks like he's a player. Josh Bailey, who's been around forever, looks like he's a legitimate NHLer now and a factor. Now, they've got to get Barzell signed. I, uh, uh, I thought 
would be they're going to get him signed. Mm -hmm. uh, he has limited options, and he can't afford to sit out very long with his short season. So I just think that the Rangers, uh, you know, the Devils are in a uh, – the Devils got a little ahead of themselves two years ago. Uh, and I think the thing is, uh, if you're realistic uh, from a Ranger standpoint, you can be optimistic and hope, but when you become – and you break it down, uh, it's a battle. It's going to be a battle to make the playoffs, uh, and yet uh, the experience along the way will be invaluable to this young group. Now, speaking of that experience, do you think uh, that this, you know, because you can really look at it from, from two ways. I, I, I tend to think that it was a, a big positive. But ju just making that playoff uh, this past season where they, they played in the uh, the qualifying round, mm -hmm. they, they lost those three games to, to Carolina. Now, even though they really didn't look that great in those three games, and, you know, Lundqvist started the first two, but we did get Shesterkin in the, the, the final game. Do you think that experience as a whole, as negative as it was, was really a positive for all the kids that, that, that participated in it? Well, I mean, you've got to take every struggle as a positive, right? Mm -hmm. I, mean, um, I, I think it was a good, honest shot of reality. I think it was a, um, now again, it was a very, very short uh, window. Mm -hmm. uh, the reasons to have been optimistic going in, uh, given the past record against Carolina. Mm -hmm. uh, but Carolina had been through the grind the season before in the playoffs. And the playoffs are a whole new deal. So absolute whole new deal. So, uh, yes, the experience will be invaluable. And uh, losing and getting uh, you know knocked around is humbling. And it just, just kind of puts things in perspective of really um, where do we stand? Uh, what do we have to do? Uh, so it's certainly better. Uh, it's a be has been a better experience for this young group uh, than not being there. Uh, but I hope that they realize it's just how hard it is. And I think honestly, they probably do. Now, that be what does that matter? Well, uh, I think there's a couple things you have to look at. You know, we talk about Sisterkin, and there's all kinds of reasons to be excited about who he looks like he's going to be, right? Mm -hmm. But he said 12 games, and he said one game. He said 12 games in the National Hockey League in the regular season, and he said one game in the playoffs. Uh, I often thought, even at the height of Hank's career, particularly so, though, coming down the stretch, that we have been privileged to watch a guy play in the most important position he played as consistent as any goalie played over the course of his 13, 15 years, and we all took him for granted. He yep. was never hurt. Mm -hmm. He was uh, so. I just think let's just let's just see how this plays out. Shesterkin has proven at every level he's been at that he can play, and uh, now he's going to be playing the best league in the world, and the league uh, the league competition will be on his shoulders. It looks like he can do it. And handle it, but until he does it, then the jury's still out. And I'm not saying by any uh, factor that I don't believe he can't do it. It looks like he can, but until he does, he's replacing very, very big skates in Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's it, the word that you used that was best there was that we all took Henrik for granted because you just, mm -hmm. just like you said, once the once the calendar turned to um, you know, fe late February after the trade deadline, March into April, you knew that Henrik Lundqvist was money, and that every night he was going out there. You know, not to say that it wasn't like this early in the season too, but especially when the game was on the line, when you knew that they had to win this game to make the playoffs or for their playoff positioning, Henrik was going to come through for them. Uh, you know, as he did so many times in all those game sevens that they played, uh, actually in the playoffs all those years. So. What you know, as much as we may really like what we've seen out of Shesterkin, and just like you said, how he succeeded at every single level he's ever played at, you're still not at the level of Henrik Lundqvist yet until you show us it day in and day out. So it's uh, it's it's going to be really interesting and fun actually to, to to see this kid come into his own as we inevitably compare him to Henrik and Henrik's career. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the elite players are elite because they're different. And to replace elite players is a very difficult task. And I think the Rangers, um, you know, Mike Richter backstopped Cupman in 94. 
uh, you know, and it was uh, 11 years before you found a goaltender who could, you know, backstop the franchise again. So, mm-hmm. um, so I just think that, um, well, again, there's all kinds of reasons to be excited. Uh, let's just, you know, a dose of reality too is, is humbling, and but it's helpful. So uh, I'm excited to get this thing started and see when they uh, tee it up uh, for real. Absolutely, and uh, the first game is actually, believe it or not, in 10 days. So they're going to have right. to have a, a really, really quick camp here. And so I really think that the Rangers are going to be playing it pretty safe with their roster. Uh, you know, because th- there's a lot of kids they have that are, are on the brink. Could they bring a guy like Keandre Miller or, uh, you know, Tarmo Runin? Or are they going to be bringing, uh, you know, I, I, I know we've already said that Vitaly Krovstov is going to stay in the, the KHL. Um, is, is there anybody that, that you expect to kind of uh, come under from, you know, from underneath the radar where nobody really expects him to make the team? Do you think that any of these kids are going to have a, a big impact right out of the gate? Well, I, I mean, it's difficult. But the, you know, the guy that we're talking about, because he did look good in the bubble training camp, was Keandre Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a, he's he's a big man. He can skate. He can move. Um, and think, but until you see him play um, against men, uh, again, the jury's still out. Now, I, I know um, uh, he uh, was talked about today uh, by David Quinn. Uh, but you've got, um, you've got, your youth has probably been displayed in the franchise and, and, and you've got good things coming. So no, I'm, I'm not sure, um, you know, Gochi was a kid they picked up from, uh, Carolina last season in a nice quiet deal. Now it, it looks like he has the tools to be able to get here. He'll probably get a little longer look and a look in a, you know, a little more of a role. Uh, maybe in the top nine. It sounds like he's going to play with one of and uh, in a scrimmage tomorrow. So I think any youth, you know, we've seen. I mean, the, the question is, can Fox and Lindgren be as good in their sophomore seasons as they were last year? And uh, so there's still, there's just, I think there's a, there's a kind of a belief that it's probably 200 games before you know uh, really what kind of pro guy's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a lot of guys uh, have some games to be played until we get to 200. Very true, very, very true, especially on the, the this Ranger team, which is by far one of the, the youngest in the league. Um, now, I just got a couple left before I let you go here, Dave. I want to thank you again mm-hmm. for, for for giving me a couple of minutes here on uh, on, on your Sunday night. As uh, Now, Capo and, uh, and Lafreniere, I, I think um, – a, a lot of people expect Capo to get a, uh, a a legit shot in the top six. It sounds like you don't think that they're going to do the same with with, uh, with Lafreniere. Um, do do you think that they're going to be giving both of these guys top six uh, minutes? Maybe one of these guys, or even playing these guys in the same line at times? No. Well, listen. I think um, I think Capo Capo has Lafreniere. Um, uh, he'll start, um, it sounds like he's going to start with Heal. Uh, so they're, they just, regardless of where they play, this is, if, if the worst thing is he's a competitive player playing a third rotation, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, he's 19. I, I mean, it just, I mean, just, the stories get way too far ahead of themselves, and it's not fair. And I, I get it. I get why there's reasons to be excited. Um, but it took 12 years for Ovechkin to win a cup. <laughs> you know, it took six years. It took six years for Sid to win a cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, five years. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just, and, and also too, these guys are both wingers. So it's, it's, it's different positioning. Um, and I just think it's, well, the sign of the times, it, it's interesting because I was asked before, uh, uh, one of the recent talks I was asked to do, uh, does Lafreniere's draft take some pressure off of, uh, tackle? He's like, oh my goodness, great. We're talking about two 19 year olds. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just let them play. Let them, just let them play. It's true. Uh, they're going to be fine. The expectations age of marketing and, and all, all that. They've shown certainly signs of, of being, uh, 
you know, viable, uh, legitimate players. But let's just give them some time. And I, I know that that's the um, uh, thought from Jeff Gordon and John Davidson and David Quinn, and that's really what the thought should be: is you're not going to you're not going to win the cup on the backs of two 19-year-olds. Uh, you're going to win the cup on years of experience, a group playing together, a goaltender that can stop it, and somebody that gets you goal times you need it. And when you put it as simple as that. Uh, the Rangers still have some work to do. Absolutely, absolutely, very true. Right. And uh, and you know, f- uh, finally one last one here, Dave. Um, do you think that the Rangers name a captain, or do you think they even need to name a captain? Uh, I don't. That question was also asked of uh, David Quinn today. I didn't get the impression that that was high on the list of priorities. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to uh, it goes back to the thought that this group just hasn't played together long enough. There are a lot of new parts to this group. Um, and I think it needs, it just needs time to grow together, to find that. Now, if Nico was in a contract that was, you know, seven or eight years, that might be more of a, uh, you know, a thought. Chris Kreider's probably a guy that's going to assume a, a lot more of a leadership role because He's been in situations, and he's grown up the right way, in the right room. He's grown up with veterans like Rick Nash and, and Marty St. Lee and Brad Richards and, and, you know, guys who've been around the block a little bit. And I just, uh, you look at this group, they don't have a lot of guys like that. Right. So I just, uh, you know, I'm not sure that, uh, I think that the, when David Quinn's not the most important guy as far as galvanizing the group, that's when you know you have your captain. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not sure that they're there just yet. And I got the impression today listening that uh, it didn't seem to be high on the list of priorities. But not being in the room or not being in the coach's room or the management's room, you know, we don't really know for sure, but that would be my observation. Well, uh, hey, uh, thank you very much for the insight, Dave. I, I can't uh, thank you enough for spending All a right. few minutes here with us tonight. Um and, uh, you know, I just want to wish you the best. Have a great 21 season covering the Rangers. I can't wait to see you on MSG. And uh, and, and have a great year. Great. Thanks very much. Thanks for the call. Maybe we'll do it again at some point. Absolutely, Dave. Have a good night. Okay, cool. Good night. All right. I want to thank everybody else for sticking around here with me on uh, this uh, this beautiful Sunday night here as we kick off 2021 here on a brand-new Sports Talk New York. Thank you for joining me here. Um, I, I want to thank my two guests tonight, um, Dave Maloney, the, the great former New York Rangers captain, uh, MSG analyst right now. Uh, th- thank you so much for joining me. Former New York Giant tight end, uh, Mark Bavaro, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Brian Graves, my engineer behind the glass, best in the biz, can't thank him enough. Rob Cowell for setting this whole thing up. Uh, WGBB Sports Talk New York, the first edition is in the books. I had the best uh, lead-in in the business and Bill Donahue with Daryl Strawberry and Dr. J. Check that out on demand if you want. Thanks for tuning in tonight, and have a great week. I'll catch you next time. necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.